I am so excited for what we have in store today. You know, so many of you have been talking to me recently about just sort of how this year of 2020 rolling into 2021, I think we all kind of thought in January that somehow there was going to be a switch that just flipped and everything was going to be back to normal. And I think for so many people, we're sort of still in that mode of wait and see. But also, I love that our guest today really for me personally uh, really resonates so much of what we've chatted about in terms of purpose and i think so many of us are sort of questioning our purpose at this moment because our world has sort of changed and everything that we think about what defines us has changed and so this guest i have today i think for me has always been a bellwether of of centering and purpose and more importantly humor and i think humor is so important in these moments so I'm so happy to introduce Dr. Bertice Berry. She's a sociologist, a best-winning and best-selling author, award-winning lecturer. I mean, what has this woman not done? You know, comedian of the year, lecturer of the year, entertainer of the year. I just get exhausted thinking about it all. She's published 11 best-selling books, both in fiction and nonfiction. She's won numerous awards, everything from a syndicated television show. She's hosted uh, so many of her own, you know, documentary appearances, The Tonight Show, Oprah Winfrey. But I think the one thing I would say in my own personal experience, because I've had the pleasure of actually knowing Bertice and more importantly, spending time with her, is her unique gift and talent to really harness humor, but more importantly, get in touch with the human side of who we are, you know, a lot of times when you see motivational speakers or you go out and you sort of be entertained, you walk away going, that's great, but now I'm going to go back into the real world. And I think I've always found any time that I've been touched by Bertice, when I go back into that real world, Dr. Berry has inspired me to, uh, yeah. to see that world differently. So I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really, really glad. I love you. I love everything about you. I love your journey. I love your life. And it is a joy to be here. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. People, some people think of me as a motivational speaker. And I always say, I'm not a motivational speaker. If you saw my daughter's bedroom, you'd know that I can't <laughs> motivate anybody. But um, I, I think you tapped into what it is. The difference is inspiration. Um, I never work with audiences that need to be motivated. I work with audiences that are already motivated to do everything that they're doing, but we all need inspiration to keep doing it. And so that's what people are feeling more than rah, rah. <laughs> right. Well, it's but not I but I love, I mean, some of the things I want to talk about before I dive into sort of where did, how did you get here and what, you know, what is it that inspired you to take this journey? I just want you to do me a favor, which is one of the mm. things I love about you so much is every time that you start a session, you always start it with singing. And, ah. and I love that because I think in this time, there's something, you know, as you know, my family is from New Orleans and you know, there was the non-Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras yesterday and Ash Wednesday today. And I think, yeah. you know, so much of that heritage is singing through pain and joy and celebration. So mm -hmm. I don't know, I might be catching off guard, but would you sing one thing for us or um, lead us today and yeah, yeah, inspire um, me? Uh, I'm trying to hold my breath. Let it stay this way. Can't let this moment end. It set off a dream in me. Getting loud now. Can you hear it echoing? Take my hand. Come share this with me, cause darling, without you, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, 
All the stars that steal from the night sky could never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands will hold, but still there isn't. Never be enough, never be enough for these. I love it. Oh my gosh. Change the words a little bit, but it feels like this time. (laughs) So what is it about singing? What is it about that that really you know, when you're looking at delivering that message of inspiration, you know, what is it that, that singing brings to that? You know, it's interesting. I, Celeste, I don't always do it. I don't always do it. It's the audience that brings it to me. The audience, when I feel an audience is already in their authentic self and they just need to be reminded to bring that every day, that's when that comes up in me. It's not always there. Sometimes I, I'm fighting it because it feels like so crazy in a business meeting to sing, <laughs> right? And, and it'll come then sometimes at the end, but sometimes I don't do it. And people will say, well, I heard you once and you sang, you didn't sing. And I'm thinking, neither did you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think too, there's all these established more, you know, norms, right? Of, of, how, of how things should be conducted. You know, and I think that breaking those and hey, by the way, there's no norms now, right? It's sort of all bets are off for the structure. So thank you for doing that for me and and inspiring us to on this journey. So I'd love to talk about you for a minute. You're always sort of doing what's best for us. But tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey of getting here. If you sit where you're sitting today, did you always know you were going to be doing this or what, no. in your, what in your journey sort of took you no, there? No, no. In fact, um, th- this, this pandemic has probably given me more of, of myself because I'm, you know, if I'm honest and I, and I try to be every day of my life, I am really an introvert forced to be an extrovert. And I love, I live back up in the country, down the road that, you know, you can't find with a GPS. (laughs) And there's a lot of land around me. And I like being a hermit. So I probably would have had a knapsack on my back and just been doing what I do. Um, I was teaching at Kent State University, just finished my PhD. And I found comedy. And uh, I found comedy through teaching. Um, I'd gone in and taught all this brilliant lesson and people were like, how many of these need to be on the test? (laughs) And I thought, this is not going to get us there. So I tapped into this understanding that if something is interesting, funny, or bizarre, you're more likely to remember, to learn, and to change from it. And my family is like the funniest family you'll ever meet. Thanksgiving dinner, they're going to recite the color purple. (laughs) It's just going to happen. And so I tapped into some some of their lines and their stories and my, like my mother if you took her to the grocery store and i went to the next aisle to get something my mother would find somebody and say she makes me push the cart and she left me and then i go back and my mom's there laughing like, <laughs> and they're looking at me like what so i just tapped into that humor that came from growing up poor and having to make ends meet and not having the things you need to to buy entertainment, we had to entertain ourselves. I tapped into that and I would teach that way. And one of my colleagues said, you should be a comedian. And I said, no, I'm a scholar. And he said, no, you're too funny to be a scholar. (laughs) So he um, convinced me to go to an amateur night. And at the time, amateur nights were really professional comedians who needed the 50 bucks. And so I went up against all these really great comedians who are well known now. And, um, and I won. And so I like this idea of using humor to deal with difficult subjects like sexism and racism. And so it started there. I, I was going all over doing comedy and somebody at a university said, can you do a lecture? And I was like, well, yes. <laughs> and so then I got to lecture, do comedy in the afternoon and do a lecture in the night. And then sometimes they'd say, can you combine it? And it was like, Christmas, because it's the flip side of the same coin, right? And then um, I hired an agent 
to help me find a way to, to do it more. And within a very short period of time, I had a nationally syndicated television show. Um, and then I went from that to another show and then continued lecturing. And then, you know, I wanted to write and a literary agent found some of the things that I was writing. So a lot of these things are things that I have thought about how can I help? How can I use what I know to help others? And then the opportunities present themselves to me because it's what I've asked for. You know, that Arabic proverb that when a person seeks their purpose, the universe conspires to answer. Um, I recently started through COVID telling stories every day on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and <laughs> YouTube. And suddenly, you know, tens of thousands of people are following and some of those videos get millions of views and it's crazy. I was just trying to help six friends who struggle with depression. Um, as a result of that, I'm now going to start working at our local um, hospice organization foundation to help collect last stories. Oh my gosh. And then, uh, yeah, and then I created a storytelling group and there's really big news coming as a result of that. And then I do these calls with people who are struggling to get to where they need to be. And I started doing those. And one of the people that I, just, you know, I do them. I don't charge anything. I do them for love. And, you know, and then he said, well, my parents want to meet you. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and they're producing um, my books for movie and television and Broadway. That's and so, so yeah, it's this thing, you take care of the greater good, the greater good takes care of you. Well, and that's where I was gonna, you know, go with this is I think that one thing that's amazing, having known you and how humble you are um, mm -hmm. and modest, you know, think about it. Do you ever sit back and think about when you had your television show, the time, Meaning, you know, we talk today about challenges and equality for women in general, for women of color in particular. And Bertice, do you ever think about, because I, I know you, you, you didn't think about that necessarily at that time. It was the right move for you. But how just barrier breaking so much of what you did at that time really was. Do you ever think about that? And more importantly, how, you know, what advice as you look at that journey for you you know, what are the things you encountered or the things that you felt were the magic that allowed you to really, you know, break those barriers at that time, but more importantly, always be so inclusive in the way that you did it. You didn't yeah. come from a place of alienation. You know, you always came from a place of inclusivity for every person that you touched. Yeah. Belonging is a big thing for me. Um, there are too many times in my life that I feel like I belonged, like I was part of. And whatever I'm creating, I want, I want people to find themselves in it. I want them to be able to feel like they belong there. Uh, there was one young woman who we were, you know, staffing the show. And we were like, you know, we, we need some Black producers, y'all. How come we don't have any? And at the time, there weren't many. There just weren't many. And so I said, we need some. So we go through this list and they show me this one resume and this young woman has a black sounding first name and last name was Jewish. And so we're like, this black woman married to a Jewish guy. We're gonna hit a couple of things. She comes bouncing in and this this blonde haired, blue eyed white girl from Iowa. <laughs> and she did not know. We hired her of course, because her resume was great. And she was fantastic. Um, she went on to do some other things that are amazing and ridiculous. But um, she didn't know that story until like last year and her <laughs> friends were around. And I told her, and this is crazy. We were at a thing that she was doing with, with Deb Furness, Hugh Jackman's wife. And Hugh Jackman was there and some other people and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm telling her the story and she's like, what? <laughs> and she goes, you mean I have this big career because y'all thought I was black married to a Jewish man? Like, yes. But, but it was this thing of we need to include everybody, but we don't need to exclude anybody because they don't fit what we think it should be. Right. And so it, not only is it important, um, I, I, like I didn't know how groundbreaking it was. It was the first person on daytime television 
with dreadlocks, you know, looking like myself. Um, and that darn whoopee copied you. Yeah, she didn't copy me at all. <laughs> she had been around doing Broadway. I'm she totally teasing. <laughs> but the comparison was like always there. And, you know, but, but there wasn't, there wasn't anybody. And so the show was actually canceled because they did a research group and there were mostly African-American women who didn't like my hair. And they said, if you'll cut it off and wear a wig, we'll renew the show, give you your million dollar bonus and keep the show on. And I realized that it must be worth a lot for them to want to pay me this much to not be myself. It must be worth a whole lot more for me to be me. And so I just said, thank you and walked on away. And so yeah. when you did that, you didn't really know what was next, right? So, no, so, no. so how do you keep, I mean, you've constantly are evolving. And so, you know, mm-hmm. what, what inspired your evolution and, you know, where, what'd you take from that to do what you did next? Tuition. <laughs> <laughs> I had. At the time, I have five um, adopted children. At the time, I had three. And so not only, you know, I have these new babies who are all born fetal alcohol crack addicted. They need therapy. They need special education. They need all these things. And I had no idea what was next. But I didn't allow that to stop me because, you know, my mom had raised seven kids on her own and somehow she was able to keep us here healthy and happy, right? So I think what I knew was that if who I am brought me to this, who I am will take me to my next thing. And within a few months, I had a huge book deal and I hadn't written a word. (laughs) And so, and you know, people go, you're just so lucky. I'm like, no, I work really hard. But I also work hard at being true to not only who I am, but who my ancestors are. So, you know, when you think about that, I love that you always talk about, you know, being true, but also your purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. and I love that, you know, I always remember you talking about, you know, your purpose versus your job. And when people walk Mm -hmm. with purpose, they ultimately collide with destiny. I think that's your story over and over. Um, So what do you believe is so powerful about knowing your purpose um, mm. you know, what does it mean to be in your yeah. purpose? Yeah, people have confused a lot of this whole purpose talk and they think it's this one big thing that will fall from the sky, but your purpose is more the essence of who you are, right? It is not your job, it is your calling. It's how you're called to walk through this life. If you're a person like you who's just curious about things and you're doing your life and you're curious and you're looking into this and you're researching this and researching that and you come from technology to skincare, like what? <laughs> like It's all the same thing though. It's how do I make somebody else's life better with what it is that I'm naturally curious about. And so when you're living that way, doing the day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day things, you're not saying what's going to be my big next? You're saying, how can I keep helping people? How can I make people feel the best about who they are? How can I make all of these amazing women that I'm meeting when I go around and talking to them, they just don't feel good about them. How can I do that? And so that's what purpose is about. And it doesn't matter how you're doing that as long as you're doing it. And then there's this piece of, walking with purpose. Well, you do it, you know, day to day, to day, to day, to day, knowing that it creates these big destiny moments that look to others like we had this big plan to create (laughs) something that no one had ever seen. You can't have a big plan to create something no one's ever seen. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. And then in doing that, that you know, that curious mind, that scientific mind, the scientific methodology is pinging this thing up against this thing until this thing happens. That's actually what it is. This, it's faith that there's this concept that you can't really operationalize it until you do, you can't hypothesize it. And then once you do, now I can go out looking for evidence of it and I can make it so that other people can come along and do the same thing. It's really real and it's true. But trying to articulate that to people who don't believe in themselves is the job. 
right? So it starts with believing that whatever you do is impacting somebody. And if it isn't, you make sure it is. And when you're having an impact on somebody, then you say, how can I be more intentional with this? And that becomes this natural evolution, as natural as evolution is, right? Because you, nothing grows in a vacuum. You've got to have diversity around you to create something new. And so the more diverse that environment, the greater are those things that come from it. Well, I think you just tapped into something huge, which is this idea of, you know, I think it's so easy to surround yourself with people like you um, because it feels good for a lot of people to be reinforcing you and your values. I think one of the most challenging things is to surround yourself with people who are stronger than you in other ways, who maybe have skill sets that you can't even fathom and feel good about the fact that you can pull so much from this diverse surrounding and I mean, growth is really about challenge, right? It's sort of about challenging yourself to be out of your comfort zone. And I wanted to share one thing that you were talking about just to relate to our audience. You know, when I left Compact to start Skin Authority, you know, I left a business where, because I want to talk about fear and, and also maybe other people's impressions of you that sometimes slow you down in your purpose and your journey because, you know, we're so conditioned to think about what other people think about what we're doing or need that, or need that, um, you know, that endorsement from someone else. And so I didn't know anything about this industry. I knew that I wanted to do things to help people live well longer. I knew that because of my own journey with cancer and things that were happening, I knew that skin was a big part of being healthy. Huge. So I left, but at that time people weren't talking that language and I left Compact mm-hmm. and I wanted to do sort of a year long sort of journey of my own to learn as a consumer, to really get out and learn what were people offering in the spa world and in the retail world. So I opened this little salon and spa in La Jolla, California, 1300 square feet. And literally six months prior to that, I was running a $20 billion business. And then I'm in there and I was pregnant because I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. I'm at the front desk pregnant and I'm checking people into this little 1300 square foot and in walks an attorney who had been an attorney at Compact. And the look on his face was like, what happened to you? How did you end up here? Wow. It was like the fall from grace, right? Because he's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, she's now a receptionist at a hair salon. <laughs> you know? And um, and I'll never forget how I felt when that, yeah. look, that look of pity on his face of me and mm-hmm. feeling like somehow I had traded down to this thing. And it took a lot for me that night to sort of go, because I did feel a little embarrassed the way that he made me feel. And I remember laying in bed that night with my husband and going, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Cause is this my calling? Like, you know, and he said, well, why are you doing it? You know, and I, and that purpose of knowing that, you know, if, if I could find a way that someone didn't die from skin cancer, if I could find a way just through education of knowing what they could do every day. And by the way, today for tease, it's still the number one killer, more than the top five cancers combined. Yet you can see it. It's the cancer you can see, right? So we should do something. About that. That's for another day. But my point is, you know, that's I kind of, a big thing. But I, I woke up and said, you know, look, it doesn't really matter what someone else thinks, right? But I think that's your point is, you know, and what do you have for people like me who sort of hit that wall and feel like maybe there's people around me who don't see my vision, who don't share it, who maybe doubt <laughs> or, or want to sow doubt in me that I can do it. How do you sort of persevere through that, you know, and, and really know that you're on the right track? So first of all, that's a, a great story to illustrate this whole thing. Um, and I didn't realize, I think I may have known you were in La Jolla, but I live just above you in Solana Beach. <laughs> and Perfect. so um, I remember that uh, I'm in Solana Beach and I would refurbish old furniture and paint it all these bright, cool colors. And I would do it with kids in the community. And <laughs> we'd work together. And they would have this thing that they felt, you know, like 
a part of. And I would get these pieces from Salvation Army or Goodwill or wherever. And one day I'm in there looking for things. And this guy goes, Bertice Berry, I remember you from your talk show. Are you okay? And it was like, you're no longer on TV. <laughs> you're in Salvation Army. Bless your heart. You know, all of that. So but what you've illustrated is we get these feelings of imposter syndrome that maybe we're doing the wrong thing, that we don't belong here. And, and people think imposter syndrome only happens when you're at the top of the game. It also happens when you're new to the game. Imposter syndrome, I think, first of all, it, it only happens to people who are the real deal. It is, it is named imposter because you feel like an imposter, but it only happens because you're the real deal. But I think the win is critical also. And I don't, I can't verify this with a 0.05 level of confidence or anything because I haven't looked at it that way. But I think that it happens when you're questioning whether or not you're where you are and you're afraid and ready to move out of it, right? So it comes, that feeling of, is this the right place? Kind of comes to shake you into, yes, it is because you're about to move away from what is authentic and true to you back into where you weren't meant to be or you were only meant to be there for a time. And so instead of feeling like, let me run back, it's there to say, this is where you belong. This is what you deserve. And it will become a great thing. I had the feeling this morning with this new big thing that's happening. And it was like, Mm, am I too old to be thinking about this now? And I was like, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it's that, you know, it's that voice in our head, right? I mean, it's sort of like we sort of write either love letters to ourselves or we write destructive thoughts in our brain too. And yeah, that's but, sort of but we're always doing both. We're always doing both. And, and we're only doing both. The self is social. It doesn't come from you. It comes from all the people you're around, the experiences you have, the friends who tell you, when are you going to settle down or when are you going to leave? Or, you know, and, and it doesn't matter which situation you're in. Society is going to tell you both of those things and you, which, which wolf you food, feed determines which way you go. But see, I think that falls back into something that, you know, you also triggered me because I so remember you always saying, you know, the trick of life is knowing that you deserve goodness and knowing that you're worthy. And we only kind of find that in each other's eyes. I first, I think that's amazingly beautiful, but also I think that right now, you know, where this, these times have been so challenging, but I also know so many people who have either lost their position or they're starting over. And it really is a chance to pursue something you maybe never could and yeah. not look at it as this journey ended, but there's this whole new journey that can begin. So I wonder how you kind of get, why is it so difficult for us to sort of accept and tap into our worthiness and, and know that we're maybe worthy of pursuing these things that make us more fulfilled? So we don't, <clears throat> in our culture, we teach people to cling to, right? Um, and, and we're a little bit wired for that as well, for sameness, because then there's no fear. We think we know it. And coming from growing up in poverty, I've seen people stay in poverty. They're, they're not afraid of success. It's just that they know the other side of it. They know what this is. So you're clinging to the known versus going out into the unknown right so it's it's in in crisis we often want to talk about resiliency but resiliency is what you build before the crisis in the crisis it's the perfect time to see the future and what we really don't teach people to do is dream and work we teach them to dream or work but not but not both, both. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's the combination that makes them happen. It's you being in the front of that salon, being willing to do that, to do all of the work, to see every aspect of it, to get to where you are going, right? It's, it's sitting at a 
desk for 10 hours with my daughter coming by going, I know you've got to go to the bathroom, <laughs> working on something, writing it, knowing that it's what I want to do, not sure if it's going to be what someone else wants or if it's going to be received, or, but it's the right thing. And having the faith in your own dream. I think we want other people to believe in our dream when we're not willing to. That is so profound. I think that's so true, right? We kind of look to other people to prop us up into that, right? Yeah. But, but I wonder, you know, when you were talking about um, this idea of, you know, we're taught to dream or work, but not both. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what happens when you have to, you know, when life sort of hands you. So because one thing we just talked about is when you have a choice, you know, and your choice is sort of you're at the crossroads. But sometimes we're also at a crossroads, through, not through our own choice. You know, something happens in our life that we didn't plan, that we didn't expect. And we sort of get derailed in a way that, because I think we are taught so much to live to our plan. Even if, to your point, you said sometimes you evolve to a place where that's no longer who you are, but we just stay on that path because it's where we were. Um, so, you know, when we think about your advice today for people that sort of end up somewhere where they didn't plan and instead of feeling like a failure or feeling like, you know, I I no longer have a a goal, you know, how do you restart? How do you start over? Um, You know, and what, what's the best assessment to make at that moment that helps you, what, what's your North star, you know, to sort of guide you in that process? Yeah. So um, I knew about 11 years ago that I had MS but I didn't talk about it. I didn't say anything about it. I wasn't going to say anything about it. And then I started falling, having head injuries and breaking things. And, you know, like, like, oh, she fell again. Why are you <laughs> falling so much? It's like, okay, I have MS. And it was not until I said out loud, I was in, first of all, I was in denial about it, but I was also in this, oh, I'm going to be healed and it's all going to be okay. I'm going to eat really well. I'm going to get super fit and blah, 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 blah. And all of that was happening. And it just kept progressively becoming more and more of, you know, what is this vertigo? And it was not until I accepted that that's what was happening, that I could you know, like every time in, in the scriptures, when Jesus heals somebody, he says to them, you know, what do you want? And it's like, Jesus, this man just limped up to you. <laughs> you know, like, can't you tell what he wants? But he had to say it. You have to kind of say what it is that you want. And you have to say, this is the journey that I'm on. You have to admit it out loud that I need help sometimes, that you know, that there are days that I wake up and I feel like maybe I won't be able to roll over today. Like, oh, wait a minute, just wait here for a minute. It's coming. And saying that out loud is not only liberating, but it invites me to be who I am in this moment. I can't control anymore um, some of the things that I would like to control. But there are things that I'm a thousand times better at like one day I was struggling through the head injury and something said make a dress and I had never sewn anything in my life and I hand stitched this dress out of fabric that I brought back from Singapore for somebody else and, and I put it on and I was like oh my god and now I make all of my clothes and I make clothes for other people and I don't measure anybody and how what is this crazy thing where did this come from if not for that and being able to see that and then these other beautiful things that are coming forth and really understanding you know how how it feels when something's going on and somebody offers you a solution that you tried 95 ways from summer and it you know i feel that and i know that And it is another opportunity to step into another way of being that makes me fly. I could fly before. Now, it's going to take me a while to get up these steps. (laughs) (laughs) But I can fly. And so it's, it's, it's accepting what is and then saying, okay, what else is out there? But that only comes from the heart. It doesn't come from the head. 
it has to come through the heart. Well, and I think that heart piece is so important. What you, I want this past year for me really bore out, and I'm sure for lots of entrepreneur business owners, maybe even yourself, you know, I think that there's this part of you that becomes so strong that you muscle, you muscle through so much that that ability to ask for help, that ability to feel vulnerable, that, you know, is it a sign of weakness that I'm going to ask someone for help? Does that make me look less of a, of a person, of a a business person, of, of a mom, of a, you know, whatever it might be. And I think that one of the things that this whole last year's journey showed me was in my particular case, all of our, I don't call them customers, all of our partners around the country, all of our employees, you know, all came together with a common mission to help lift each other up. And when you said you could fly, we flew. And I think that, but we, there were a lot of people on that journey who opted out because they felt that maybe that would signal that they weren't doing well and that that appearance of being able to master everything by yourself. And, and I think that, you know, for me, I've had moments in my life like that where I have opted out of things because I didn't want to appear weak or needy. And I think that my old age, I now know that, um, you know, there's a strength that comes from being vulnerable and being open. And more importantly, it truly does take a village, you know, it takes a tribe to get anything done. So what do you, I mean, what do you advise people who are at a point where they know they need to reach out, they know that they probably could use a little help and inspiration, but they're afraid of what it means to open that door or to be vulnerable? Well, I think one of the first things I always say to folks like that is because those folks are always the ones who are lifting up everybody else. And so what I say to them is if you went to someone to help them and they rejected your help, how would you feel? And so in the same respect, for you to be all that you need to be, you have to be willing to give to yourself what you so willingly give to others. You have to, otherwise you don't know balance. And my mother taught me that. She said, you are a giver from the first thing in the morning. You've been a giver since you were a little tiny child. You've always been a giver. You have not learned how to receive. And it was like, she don't know what she's talking about. I receive all the time. <laughs> and then I heard, I heard what she was saying. I heard the truth of it, that I have to allow others to participate in my life because it is their gift as well, that the transaction is not complete if there's not giving and receiving. And so you're not enabling others to do their part. You're stopping them from doing the part that they need to do. And I sometimes liken it to, you know, I keep money in my console in the car when there's somebody who's homeless or hungry or whatever in need, and I can give them that. And one day I I couldn't stop. The light changed and I had to go and I felt bad. And my daughter said, maybe giving is so easy for you. Maybe it's harder for the person that got stopped at the light. And maybe this gives them the opportunity to be able to do their part. And it was like such a clear picture of stupid. You can't (laughs) be the only one. Right. You can't. And to be able to receive is not, it's, 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 you know, it's I, last year I broke both feet, <laughs> and I you, you could, you're an overachiever. You couldn't do just one foot. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to go to this conference, and it, you know, there are educators, and I didn't want to let them down. Blah blah. blah. It's Palm Springs, and to go to Palm Springs, you have to catch three flights from here. And I called my brother, and I told him that this was happening, and we had planned on meeting because he lives in Palm Desert. And he said, "Well, sis." fly to the one airport, John Wayne, and I'll pick you up from there and we'll drive the rest of the way. That way you can sit in the back and put your feet up. And I was like, well, that's two and a half hours there and then two and a half hours to the thing. And then you're going to have to drive back home. And he was like, so? And it was, it was, it was a thing. And I was like, why am I having a hard time with allowing him to go out of his way? And, and then I did, and he was like, you have no idea what fun this is and how much I needed it. And I was like, okay. In the meantime, I get back home and 
the one foot had been only broken in one foot was broken in four places one was broken in two and I got back home and he was like and now it's five places the surgeon was like sit it down and my niece had um, she was going through some things at work she and her husband and she has three kids and I had I said just come come here she came and she got here the day after I got back home on this broken foot and she's a nurse. And so she nursed me back to wellness to the point where I didn't have to get the rod in my foot. And so life is this beautiful give and take. We don't see the blossoming until we learn to do both. Well, and I think what you said is so true, especially at this time is think about that two and a half hours you had each way when have you and your brother had that much time together to connect? Because to your point, we're always going from point A to point B. Mwah, give you a hug, give you a kiss. Let's have a brief little meal. Then I'm on to my next thing. And I think that the gift of time, you know, it's, it's not only making them feel good that you let them do something for you, which they really wanted. But I think if I've learned nothing else over the last few years, the gift of time, you know, we don't control that. And at the end no. of the day, you know, and when, and when we're given time, give a gift of time with someone we love or we cherish or that we're inspired by, like today, um, you know, we need to really take advantage of that gift because it's fleeting and it's a yes. limited commodity, you know? So I love that. One thing I want to ask about before we get to our lightning round, which I always love because you, you're quick and you'll be able to do it and bring some humor to it. This is, this is sort of a serious question, but you know, right now we've had so many, I, I listened to your, I was telling you before we recorded today, I was listening to Pretty Woman the other day, a little Pretty Woman scenario. But you know, I think we talk so much now about racism and about this inherent, and it, it isn't necessarily even just racism, this idea of inequality and, and how we really struggle to become better at really creating truly a place where everyone can thrive and where we're open to that. And, you know, we were talking, we've talked quite often about fear throughout the discussions today and also being self-aware, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to have a dialogue about yeah. this because it sort of indicts you in a way. It sort of says, I, you know, because most people will probably want to tell you, oh, I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who is anyway, you know, discriminatory. But I think, you know, for all of us, I think, you know, if we're openly honest, we all have something that we've all been affected by the life we've lived and the things that we've encountered. And it's sort of sculpted inherent things in us that, that are just there and we can't ignore them, right? So in this time, as if we're parents, a lot of people listening are moms or they're running a business where they want to inspire their team to really rise above where we are today. So how can we start that journey, um, you know, and, and know that it's a journey, right? And it's gonna take time to really. Yeah, it's a great question. It is absolutely a journey and believe it or not, my. PhD is in sociology with an emphasis in race, gender, stratification, the unequal distribution of wealth, power, and prestige in a society. I did my dissertation on um, colorism, um, discrimination based on skin color differences within the race. I knew if we can understand it within a group, we could understand it even easier across groups. What we have to first understand is that racism is systemic. It is It, it permeates every part of our culture and it has ever since someone decided to enslave anybody else. And I know slavery has existed throughout the entire world, but if we're in these United States and we're talking about these United States, we understand that systemic racism is in every agency of socialization. I can't control the sky, but if I live in the system and it's in the drinking water, then it has affected me and it has infected me. And if I wallow in guilt, shame, or anger, I can't change anything. I can't move the needle. I'm gonna to have to get out of my own stuff and listen to somebody else to hear what they're talking about to be able to bring about change. This is ongoing work. It is constant work. 
And it feels like, well, when, when is that ever going to be over? If we're true and we're honest, we've really only been looking at this for a short period of time for something that's been there affecting everybody. Now, I'm going to say something um, that will make some people angry because I find that if I go to work for a company that even has a skincare product in their line, they're like, you can't endorse other people while endorsing me. <laughs> But you're such a great example of it. Skin Authority works incredibly well on black skin. Every product doesn't work well on black skin. But if you can crack the code on black skin, then everybody else's skin is easier. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it means with Black Lives Matter. If you can deal with the most difficult thing, then those other things become easier. And I don't think people realize the importance of that. It is, it is, it is this same thing along those lines of, you know, you have a product that works incredibly well. One that works in an instant called Skin Authority. It works in an instant, right? And people go, well, no, that's not what you should be doing. You should do this over here because this is formulated just for this. And this is this, this, and this. And this is just, and you get pulled into all of those areas of your life instead of doing what you know is true and what you know not only works, but works well for you, for your friend over there, for this friend over there. It works for all of us. And what we do instead is we want to find these little clicky things that are my own personal pan, whatever. It's just me. And really, what we need to be doing, whether it's in a skincare line or dog care product or whatever, what works best on those who've been left out of this equation? Because if we can tap into that, we've cracked the code for everything. That's what we need to talk to our children about. That if you care for the least of these, then you don't have to worry about, am I popular with these people? Because what you're doing is playing the long game. And you win everywhere. You win everywhere. It's people are figuring out, oh my God, we've left this out. And now when we do this, why are we doing so much business? Because you're doing the right thing. And if the right thing includes more folk, then what you're doing is good for the universe. It's this thing that I call the all. You don't just have something that works great for me. You have something that's great for the environment. That's something that's great for, you know, the people who are working in the place that the business, so that now that people are talking about, not only do I want something that works well for me, it's gotta be nice to the environment. And it's gotta be a business that treats the people who are even doing the packaging, that treats them right. Now you're ticking off all of these boxes. So this thing that looked like I was only doing this person's life matters. I'm really saying, if I care for the one that's been excluded, I will pick up so many more along the way. It doesn't take you out of the game. Too often I have to go to companies and say, well, they think that we're giving special treatment to this group versus this group versus that group. How selfish are we? Mm -hmm. That we can't see that the long game is the best game. I totally agree. I think that is such an important part of this whole dialogue, you know, and I think what you shared is so relevant you if they want you to come and talk with their group or, or really look at inspiring them on every front but also i think this conversation we're having and your background is sort of uniquely positioned to maybe help people it's you know, crazy <laughs> i know but it, the timing of it right and looking at what you've accomplished all these years crazy. and i think yeah. really being able to to help you know people sort out that idea of of you know, are we doing things for the better good for, for, you know, like you said, the, if it's the least of us, right. That really become the most mm -hmm. of us. So, you know, how can people reach you? 
Dr. Barry, if they want to be able to leverage you for that and maybe tell us how people can connect with you. Oh yeah, BertieSperry.com, B-E-R-T-I-C-E-B-E-R-R-Y. Yeah, I'm working with a, a luxury hotel brand and they said, we're gonna do diversity work. And I was like, yeah, okay, but I do it differently. And so we did, and we started doing the work and they're like, why are we getting along so much better? And why is everybody working? And I said, diversity is not about three blacks, two whites and Asian, you get in a car and go nowhere. Diversity is not the end game. It is meant. I borrow from biodiversity actually. The more diverse that environment, the more selective and amazing and more evolved are the things that come from it. Oh, I love that. That is so purposeful. So real quick lightning round, because I can't believe how quickly this time has gone. What's one piece of advice you'd tell your younger Dr. Barry? Ooh, um, that some stuff is going to happen. Keep going. <laughs> I love it. It still is, right? Um, what's, what's, a, what's a non-negotiable for you every day? What's the one thing that you don't compromise on? Well, I don't compromise on being me. I just don't. Um, and I, we have a saying, if you don't know you want me, you, you don't, but you will next year. <laughs> By the way, I've lived that. I know that that is true for sure. Uh, with you actually. Um, and then what, what is, you know, the one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you? Um, people would be surprised to know that I collect slave purchase documents. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is a quirky kind of thing that I do. And I find them at auctions in the middle of the night and I find all kinds of uh, memorabilia. I've got shackles from slave ships that hang on my walls. And um, uh, the documents, I always collect the ones that say will not separate. And I sometimes gift them to people because like if there's a person with, two children and a, and a mother, and I'll give them to somebody who's got two kids and their mom. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Oh, that's amazing. I just want to share with you, Bertie, seriously, that, um, you know, just how much I appreciate you and how much I appreciate how much you've touched and how much you mm -hmm. give every day. And I love that you're authentic because I've always looked to you in, in a way to inspire me to always be true to myself. And I think I've learned that yeah. in watching you over the years. And it's such a pleasure to see you continue to evolve and grow. And, but more importantly, to continue to reach people. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for sharing that with us today. I really appreciate it. So all of you, you can, go to, you can go to our Instagram page at, at Bear Skin, and we have all of Dr. Barry's information, how to contact her. You'll have links to her social media and ways to follow her so that you're, you only got a taste what you're in store for today so you can follow so thank you so much dr barry and stay well everyone we'll catch up with you next time thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and bear it all be sure you subscribe so you're notified every time we upload a new episode you can follow us at bearskin with celeste and at Skin Authority on Instagram, and my personal Instagram, at Celeste Hilling. Also make sure to leave a review. We would love to hear your feedback and your burning questions. See you next time.